and I just realized my mic was not on. So I try to be super transparent with you all uh, with respect to the lessons that I learn when I study scripture. And I saw something in Exodus chapter 2 that I've never seen before. When I see things like that, or, or believe that I see, a, I don't want to say a new thing, but new to me, I like to confirm them, I like to double check them, because that's sometimes how bad doctrine develops, that's sometimes how uh, weirdness develops. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, I do believe that the Lord is um, is is teaching, taught me truth, and that I'm communicating that truth, but I believe that this is more of a seminal moment, an important moment in the book of Exodus than I had ever seen before. This um, this moment where, um, for some reason, I'm not advancing here. This moment in Exodus chapter two, where. Um, moment where where Moses handles things himself and then deals with it in his flesh. So remember, we're going to always look in this study at the situation, the struggle, and the victory. We'll start with really kind of the two situations that we'll see here and the parallel of what they are. We'll contrast those and try to learn from, from them in victory. In Exodus tw uh, 2, verse 11, it says, And it came to pass when those day, in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew one of his brethren. Now we also see in this passage, in verse 16, just a few verses down, now, so, so remember the story, Moses kills the dude, buries the dude, people kind of hold him accountable to that, and he runs away in fear, well, runs into the land of Midian, the priest of Midian, and then these are the verses here in 16 and 17, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, they came and drew water and filled the troughs, uh, uh, and filled the troughs to water their father's flock, and the shepherds came and drove them away. Okay, so there's two situations that Moses is in where he sees something that's unfair, something that's an oppression, something that is the weaker unable to defend themselves. Okay, and I do believe that this is memorialized in Scripture for a purpose. Um, I do think we can learn from this. This is the kind of thing that would have been easy for the Lord to kind of overlook in the story. But he memorialized it in the book of Exodus um, for us to learn from. This, I believe, is a seminal moment. And we're going to contrast to the two situations and the subsequent response from Moses and what he can learn from it. Okay, so in the first situation, right, he sees his brethren being smitten, you know, the guy beating on him, 
and that bothers them. In this other situation, these seven daughters, they're just trying to take care of their flocks. They fill the troughs. They do the work. They fill the troughs with water. Then the other shepherds come in, shim well, and then they're taken from what the what these girls, what the work did. Are you guys tracked on the situations? Okay. So, one of the first the lesson here is there will always be those who oppress. Yes, sir. There will always be those who oppress. We won't look at all of these. I, I believe I left them on your page. But just this is just a smattering, just a tiny sample of all the times in Scripture where someone is oppressing someone else. Um, Notice in 20 years he oppressed the children of Israel when the, the Zidonians, the Amalekites, the Moanites uh, did oppress you. Uh, the king of Syria and, and down in Jer- uh, Jeremiah for their land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. In Ezekiel 18, uh, this individual hath oppressed the poor and needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination. Like, oppression is always going to happen. It always has happened, and it always will happen. And with all the love I can muster, you are not the only victim that will ever whack the face of this earth. There are people who have been oppressed with much more than anybody in this room has ever seen. Of every nationality, of every race, of every creed, of every belief, people have been oppressed. I'm not justifying it. It's just a matter of fact. Okay? And we're actually going to look at how to biblically respond to oppression. Okay? Even this morning in Sam's message... I don't know if you caught it in Galatians chapter 4, verse 29. This is not in your notes because I didn't prepare it until the Lord gave it to me in the message this morning. In Galatians 4, 29, But of them he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so is it now. The flesh will always persecute the Spirit. Okay? So oppression is a tactic of power and of the flesh. Of power and of the flesh. Now there is a spiritual realm of oppression as well. We're not really talking about that today. But we saw the Hebrew being, the Egyptian smiting the Hebrew, right? It's a person physically beating another person who couldn't arguably defend themselves. We see these seven presumably young ladies. None of them doesn't look like they're married. These young ladies trying to take care of the responsibility of feeding their animals, get, getting driven off by their shepherds. Like, that's what people, and I'll, I'll say men, but it, 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 it could be female, but men are, 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 are really good at this. And it's interesting because they say there's a saying that absolute power, does anybody know the rest of it? Corrupts absolutely. And that's one of the things that's been really good about our country is the checks and balances system that has been set up. You can disagree with so many things in the history of the United States of America. No doubt. But if there's one thing that the Founding Fathers got right, 
It was a set of checks and balances and control. You've even heard, maybe over the last week, Biden say certain things like, I can't do that, or the president doesn't have the, the power to do this, or the authority to do that. I would argue that's a good thing. There's times that Congress should act. There's times when the president should act. There's times when the judiciary should act. That balance of power was something, and those checks and balances was something the forefathers, having just come out of a, a um, monarchy, realized was important that any one person in authority was going to be a problem. Okay? They knew the heart of man and the tactic, again, uh, uh, oppression is a tactic of the power and of the flesh. Now notice here, in Psalm 55, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. They do things, right? That's what happens with the wicked. They act out against the spirit. Man would swallow me up. He fighteth daily. Uh, he fighting daily oppresseth me. This is what men do. This is how the especially lost men, not spirit for uh, spirit loved men. This is how they act out. They act out in oppression. They take the power they have and they put their thumb. You see it in business. You see it in military. You see it in schools. You see it in homes. You see it everywhere you go. The person with the authority can and often does oppress. Even in Ecclesiastes, so I return, considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, they have no comforter, and on the side of their oppressors there was what? Power. But they have no comforter. When, when you look out along, uh, across the world, whether it's driving down the street in the city, whether it's driving in the country, you will see people that have a spiritual oppression for sure. It creates an environment for someone to lord over someone else. It stinks. It's not something I like. But it is the way of the lost world. We have to learn to function within it. Even in, as we look in Hosea, he's a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand, and he loveth to oppress. They actually get jollies. There are people who love to take advantage of you in business in a, in a business interaction. I, 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 can, I can think back on certain instances in my life where I was taken advantage of by someone who loved to do those kinds of things. Healing all that were oppressed. So, so even in, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, we see that there, were he, there was healing of those that were oppressed of the devil. Right? So even when we move in, moved into the New Testament and move into more of the spirit realm, there's still oppression that's happening. And that was what the disciples and apostles were, were, were focused on. Even in James, toward the end of the New Testament, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Like, for, for millennia, people have thought, more money, more power, more control. I can tell you what to do because I, I, I am the CEO of this business. You should fear me. <laughs> you, know, you know how much fear I have in my CEO? Like, not much. 
because he can't really do that much to me. The worst he can do is fire me. The worst. So why do people do this? We've talked about the fact that, that, they're, that they're bullies at, at their core, but why do people bully or oppress? So I put some, some bullies up there, right? So, so we've got Johnny Lawrence, right? Johnny! <laughs> right? You know, like, something like that, something close to that, right? Well, right? Right? you know, Biff, and he's getting ready to punch Marty, right? Marty McFly, right? Marty, in the cafeteria. And look, I haven't seen Mean Girls, but I was trying, I had to find something, so I googled Billy Girls, and this, like, this, like, blew up. So, like, one of the movies, uh, and it's blew up. I, I've never seen it, but I assume it was about Billy Girls. And then, the one from the Scott Farkas, right? I mean, everybody knows Scott Farkas and his buddy, the, the, the lead singer from ACDC. Um, some of you will get that joke. So, why do, why do people bully or oppress? Well, th- this is not necessarily scripture. This is just what I've pulled out. But, but I think it's truth. They ultimately feel powerless. They know that they don't have a relationship with a mighty God. They don't trust in a God who has complete uh, authority. And so they feel like they have to lash out and take their own. Right? They have to get those. Maybe they suffer from some sort of insecurity. Right? How many movies have you seen where the bully gets things right because, well, this insecurity came up? And actually, I wrote an article, sometimes on a study, I, I go off on these little rabbit trails. And so, is anybody watching the new Cobra Kai? Is that, no? Yeah. I mean, a little bit? So, so the actor that played this guy was in the, the new movie, or the new show, of Netflix, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, right? Today, now, I mean, it's, even now, it's on, I mean, it's on, new episodes are coming out. And he said he would, re, he would reprise that character under one condition. But it wasn't just a jerk, that he had some depth to it, that we understood. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I was trying to remember, at one point, like, Johnny Lawrence, is, I think, gets beaten by his dad, he ends up with a black eye or something. There's, there's some dynamic going on there. And almost every bully in every story that's that where they where they bring out the story a little bit. There's always a reason. There's always a reason. There's a perceived need to control others. They literally enjoy the rewards that they get from it. Like I mentioned, sometimes people do a bad business deal because they make more money. You know? And they walk away from the deal feeling this sense of pride because I I must them over for twenty more dollars. You know? And how excuse me, how sad that is. So the situations are very clear. We have an Egyptian who had a sense of power because he was an Egyptian, beating a Hebrew who had no power because he was a slave. And then we have these young ladies who couldn't defend themselves from the shepherds who get pushed away by these, I can't help but imagine that they were grungy, hard men. I kind of, when I think of shepherds of that day, I kind of think of a cowboy. Like, and I don't mean like uh, uh, the, the Three Amigos cowboys, like with the fringe and, the, and the, the silver guns. I think more like the cowboys that are, like haven't showered in days and they're really rough and their skin looks like leather and, you know, those are rough. Cow- that's what I, like, like they, they take no pr- 
prisoner's cowboy, right? So I can't help but think that this situation, both of these situations stink. Well, sometimes actually stink, but they're just dumber situations. So the struggle then is how to respond. So now we're going to talk about the first situation because we see the struggle in Moses in the first situation. We're actually going to see the victory in the way he responds in Midian. And he looked to this well, Moses looked this well and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian. Now, I'm no lawyer, but that sounds a little premeditated to me. Now, there's still a component of, 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 of uh, it wasn't super premeditated, my term, but, like, he looked around. Anybody going to see me? Kills this dude. Like, it wasn't just a crime of passion. There was some planning in his mind. He slew the Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two of the men of the Hebrews strove, to get, strove together. And he said unto him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thy fellow? So he clearly saw the one guy start it. Right? And he said, who may be a prince to judge over us? So now the Hebrews are concerned about the way Moses is going to respond. You're not over me. Intendest thou to kill me, and thou killest the Egyptian? You want to look around and take me out? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses for justice to be, to be executed. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well, which leads into the victory we'll see in a moment. But notice the words and phrases. I already caught, caught one of it a little bit out. He looked this well and that way. It alludes to this premeditation. He saw no man. What's, a, what's another phrase for, not, for seeing no man? He felt no accountability for his actions. He thought he could get away with acting out in the flesh. And then later, who may be a prince or a judge? Who gave you control? When I was uh, I, when I was a kid, I don't know why we said this, but who died and made you king? Like as if we had a king that yeah, I don't know. But who was the same? Like who died and made you king? So this Egyptian, these Hebrews now are saying, how do you have control over us? How are you judging what's right or wrong? And then intendest, are you planning on killing me as well? So it's very interesting that this is the fruit, if you will, of Moses' action. Now, the account of this event is recorded also in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you may remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is recounting the history of the nation of Israel. And he actually says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and deeds. That's important, because now Moses thinks like an Egyptian. He thinks like somebody that's in, in power. And when somebody that's in power, when, some, when something's bad, I just put the beat down on him. Problem solved. Right? He's thinking like, now he was saved through that situation. His physical battle was saved by ending up in, in Pharaoh's house. 
but he's thinking, his mind has been corrupted. He's thinking like an Egyptian, like the world. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he did two things. He defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. So in the New Testament account, we see that there's two things that, that Moses did. He defended and he avenged. So how did he defend this person? How did he defend the Hebrew when the Egyptian is beating him? How do you think that went down? Anybody? I mean, I, well, not, it's not meant to be a curveball. But, so, so you wrap up. And, and Shane is pummeling Dennis. He's literally on top of him beating him. How am I going to defend Dennis? Stop. I'm going to pull Shane off of him. Right? I mean, right? Yeah. I could get in the way. Like if you see, you see that sometimes in, in sports fights or you see it sometimes in, in school fights or you know, fights that happen at school, what the authorities often do is they will literally get between the two individuals to defend the one that's, you know, that's the, the one that's being, you know, done to. Well, are you with me? Is that making, making sense? So whether he pulled the Egyptian off of the Hebrew or whether they were both standing and he somehow got them between or separated them or whatever, he defended the Hebrew. No problem with that. No problem with that at all. The problem is when he then, when he, in my mind's eye, grabs the, the, the shame Egyptian and pushes him to the ground and the guy's grabbing himself and wiping the sand out of his eyes, that's when Moses looks around and sees nobody other than, by the way, the one that was there. We've kind of forgot about the victim, but he looks around, sees nobody, and kills the Egyptian. Okay? That was the point where he crossed the line. Now, you're like, Mitch, I could have read chapter all of Exodus 2 three times over, and that's not a revel that's that was no revelation there. It was wrong for him to kill him. Okay, bear with me, bear with me. Notice that avenging in scripture, which is what Stephen ascribed to Moses, is clearly prohibited by the believer. Okay? It's clearly to be allocated, to be left for God to do that work. Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give peace unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So the moment that Moses crossed the line in the murder is clear, but I will argue that's, that happened because he didn't interject himself in the situation with this mindset. He felt, he felt like an Egyptian, and he felt like he had to solve the problem himself with his hand, or instrument of death. Hebrews 10.30, For we know him that so of vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. Even in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, 
taking vengeance on them that know not God, and they end up obeying not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, ain't nobody going to do a better job of avenging all of your wrongs than the Lord and His angels. Nobody on the face of the earth. The justice system is imperfect and will mess something up. But I can assure you, the Lord will not. I can assure you, the Lord will not. So it brings us to our first victory principle of the day. Victory principle number one. Defending is acceptable, but vengeance is not. Defending is acceptable, but vengeance is not. So we know where the line is. So let's look at, we know, we know where Moses went wrong, the struggle. Let's look at the victory in, in the time we have left. Now, remember, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the traps to water their flat. Father's flat. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Moses stood up, helped them, and watered their flock. So we know, because of this situation, that Moses had been humbled. He, he found himself with no accolades that he could rely on. He was now, he went from literally living in the palace to not. Like, to the wilderness. I mean, talk about a stark contrast. He was hanging out at water troughs. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was looking at this, echoes of the prodigal son came rushing back in my mind in Jesus' description that when the prodigal son came to the end of himself, right, he was with the animals, feeding amongst the animals. Like, all the goods of the world were gone, and he was left alone with animals and the things associated with animals. Now, I'm not trying to make some overly doctrinal tile or anything. I just think it's kind of interesting that when people have, when, when people get to that level of survival, they will either eat what's left over from a pig, in the prodigal son example, or that the, the pigs don't eat, or they'll center themselves around water traps that were designed for animals. <laughs> like, they know there's water there. Right? Now, it's, it's also interesting because we saw at the end of verse, um, verse uh, 15, Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to say Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well, which kind of makes sense. If you have no water, you're going to find some place to where you can, you can survive. So he's been humbled. He finds himself sitting by a well. And notice that in, in verse 17 here, just before, and Moses, the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And what we're going to see is an amazing contrast between Moses' situation in Egypt and Moses' situation in Midian that I believe fundamentally changed the way Moses analyzed and processed problems. I think this was a really big moment for him. He had moved 
sorry, here. He has moved. He sees the young woman being buried. They were literally driven away. Now, the Hebrew word for this, when I looked it up, all the times in the Old Testament that Hebrew word appears, it appears in these in these forms, and the size of the word has to do. It's a word cloud. It's the size of the word has to do with the frequency. So there are times when they are driven out or thrust out. They're cast out. Even the concept of divorced or separated, troubled, even and surely not in a, a, a positive way, but like definitively, they were cast up, driven away, put away, expelled. Like this is not. They were asked to move. They were literally physically pushed out of the way, or, or at the very least, if they left of their own accord, it was under threat of something greater. These young ladies were done wrong. But I would argue that Moses has learned from his previous mistake. No, no, so, so, Notice, now we're jumping into the message we'll get into next week, but notice in verse 19, and they said, so they're recounting to their father the story of what's just happened, and they said, an Egyptian delivered, so it's actually not, but it's interesting because, and we'll talk more about this next week, that's how they viewed him. He looked like an Egyptian. He's not an Egyptian, but he looked like an Egyptian. Delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, because they're physically doing something, and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. So that's the account that the young ladies give to their father about what Moses did for them. So when the second situation came up, he watered. He stood up, he watered, or he delivered, he helped, and he watered. So did I jump ahead? Oh, well, I'm sorry. He clicked twice. He helped or delivered. That's the first step. How has that helped him that is without power? Job 26. There's, there's six questions there that Job asked to his counselors. Like, you haven't even helped me. How have you helped him that is without power? How have you helped me, counselor? That is what people want in times of need. They just want some help. Psalm, very famous Psalm 121, uh, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? Well, my help comes from the Lord, which made those heavens and earth and those hills. Right? Like, wait, I know where God, I know where my help comes from. Now, sometimes it takes the form of a person. God sends help to people sometimes. Oh, well, a lot of times, actually. In this case, he did that as well. All of these verses here and the, the, uh, these other psalms, the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the hand of the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, to make haste to help me. Psalm 71. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. And Psalm 79.9, Help us, O God, our salvation for the glory of thy name. Deliver us and purge away our sin for thy name's sake. Like people that are oppressed, people that are, in hurt, that are uh, hurting, that are in need, they just want some help. Would it have helped these young ladies if Moses got uh, uh, Samson 
and started pulling out a jawbone and started killing them. I think they might be more traumatized than what they have happened to them. Like, that would have helped. What he did was he found, what was the need? Well, they've done all this work and the flocks are still not watered. So what does he do? He delivers them. He interjects himself, but does not smite. He interjects himself, and he delivers them. Hey, why don't you pick on somebody your own size? Right? I mean, how many times have, have, have we seen that in a movie or, or whatever, or in real life, where it's like, oh, right, you're the big man until somebody else, you know, oh, okay, you can pick on a little girl. Okay. But now a grown man who looks like an Egyptian, who's stepping in, it's like, well, I was, my business is with them. Well, now your business is with me. That's right. <laughs> you know? That's how you deliver. You don't have to go pummeling people, right? And notice that he watered. He didn't just create the environment for them to water again. He bore that on himself to take care of them. In Proverbs 11.25, the liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that rattleth shall be rattled also himself. It's interesting because so many times, especially in good Christian conservative circles, the word liberal has become kind of a bad name. Oh, the liberals, the progressives, the, 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 those on the left end of the, Democrat, uh, the, the political spectrum. It's as if it's a bad word. It comes from the fact that people want to give. <laughs> and maybe, the, maybe there are times politically where people just feel like the solution is just throwing money at stuff, and that isn't really solving the problem. And I, and I get that. That doesn't always solve the problem. Sometimes it actually makes the problem worse. So, but the liberal soul shall be made fat. Those who give of themselves, those who see the need and meet the need, well, those are those are folks who are the best. Then neither rattled shall be rattled also himself. I think it's really interesting. Like, I don't know that they're referencing Moses here, but I think it's kind of interesting. The one who makes sure that those who can't are taken care of, well, they're blessed. They're blessed. And then First Corinthians, I just think this is really cool as well. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Like, it's not our job to give the increase. It's our job to just water spiritually in the New Testament. That's what Moses did. He stood up, he defended them, and then he watered. So notice the contrast. In Egypt, he went out, arguably went down from the palace. He went out. He saw a problem and resolved it by taking away, in this case someone's life, and putting them into the ground. Okay? This situation is almost exactly the opposite. Oh, well, let me jump ahead for just a second. I'll come back. I probably should have put that after here. In Midian, he saw a problem. He stood up. And he resolved by taking from the ground and giving. It's literally, everything is opposite. Everything is opposite. So, victory principle number two. The best way to defend others is to bless them. It's to bless them. 
If there's an attack that comes on one of, one of you all in this class, I want to be there to help defend you. I want to bless you to the extent that I can. I can't all, uh, that doesn't always look like money. That doesn't always look like, uh, you know, going out and buying something. Sometimes that looks like meeting with someone. Sometimes that looks like interjecting myself in, in, into some of your problems to the extent that you will allow me to. But Moses, Moses saw the problem, leaves his own comfort of sitting, and then he literally gives of himself. We all need to be doing that. We all need to be doing that. In the time left, I want to look at the practical application of this for us in the New Testament. According to Proverbs 31, which I realize is in the Old Testament, but the principle still applies. Open my mouth for the dumb, in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Like, that is what we're asked to do. Like, I, I have never once been asked to picket. I have never been once asked to, to march in the streets for social change. But I have been charged, according to Proverbs 31, to not keep my mouth shut. I have been asked and charged to judge righteously. Not to assume that everybody in this situation is a victim of this situation, or, or, or what someone else defines as a situation. I need to like, determine, well, why is this person in this situation? Maybe it's choices they made. Maybe we need to go back and undo some of that. Maybe we need to fix that. Maybe it isn't the system, right, that has got that person in the spot. Maybe that's of their own, own volition. But I need to plead the cause of the poor and needy. And I'm not, that's not a, I'm not taking a job. We're all poor and needy when it comes to the spiritual blessings from the Lord. Over in, 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 over in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That is the fight that I need to bring to the table. Like, I am literally not going to get anywhere putting my hands on anybody. I'm gonna, I need to lay hold on eternal life. And sometimes that means laying hold on eternal life in your life. And helping you remember, hey, the thing you're going through right now, it's temporal. The thing you're going through right now, it's going to come to pass. The thing you're going through right now, God is taking you through for a reason. Let's look at the big picture. Big picture. Eternity. Big picture. Second Timothy 4.7, Paul says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. What did he keep? What did he do to defend? He kept the faith. And notice this, and I love this, and we'll probably revisit this verse from time to time, and especially in the study of, of victory. In Romans, in Revelation 12.11, And they overcame him, right? Satan, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Not with a sword, not with a spear, not with a shield, not with a slingshot, but by the word of the Lord, I'm sorry, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You want to change people's lives? Have a good testimony. 
Like, and I don't just mean I don't I don't uh, what's that old adage? I don't uh, smoke or sw- uh, no I don't drink or yeah, I don't drink or smoke or kiss a girl to do or something. Like, okay, that's great. <laughs> but it's more than that. It's way more than that. Do you have a testimony of a changed life? That and the blood of the Lamb, that is what overcomes this world's problems. Even the Hebrew that's, or the Egyptian that's smiting the Hebrew, even the, the, the shepherds that are being just patently unfair to these young ladies and basically took, took advantage of the work that they did. And so it brings us to our, our last point here, our last victory principle. Remember the lesson. I know I'm guilty. Like, if you quiz me right now on what Sam preached on, maybe it's a little unfair because I'm preaching this, this message. What he preached on this morning, I might, ha- I, I might already have kind of forgotten it. Okay? But please remember this lesson. And the reason is, look at what we see in Exodus chapter 3. I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. These are God's words to Moses. I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. Moses, you're not going back to Egypt to cause a revolt. They probably could have done that. There were enough Hebrews. They probably could have risen up as a group of people and overthrown their captors. Like that's, that's, that's actually possible based on how many they have there. But that is not how God solved that problem. I can't even begin to think about the loss of life that would have happened if the, if the Hebrews would have decided not today, we're done, John Lyons and we're revolting. Some number of them are getting killed, I can assure you. But through the story that happens, God delivers them. Everyone that's faithful, God delivers them. He says, it's not going to be by a hand, a, a hand, Moses. Oh, by the way, your bloody hands, right? They just killed a dude not all that long ago. Right? It's not by a mighty hand. I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Moses has learned a lesson, I will argue, in this seminal moment of his life where he, is, he knows he is guilty of murder and he knows that he can no longer respond to situations with a hand of strength he has to do it with a hand of meekness, serving, blessing, supporting, loving, watering, looking to the faith. There's a lot of people, a lot of people, even that would call themselves Christians, that feel like things need to change. And they think they've got to do something to change. Well, connect with a God who is willing and able to get a million people out of underneath, underneath the persecution of Egypt. With, how is he going to do it? He, I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. Just get out of my way, Moses. Just get out of my way. Let me be God. Let me do what I need to do. And then we will all rejoice. You may or may not remember... This little tag, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. That's kind of our, our tagline. 
That's because of what God did in delivering the Hebrews out of the nation of Egypt. What he did in delivering them out of their captivity and their, their slave, uh, their slave uh, situation. Because God wants to do the work. Now he may use you as a good hand of blessing. But don't get in the way. The minute you try to interject your flesh in the situation, you're going to ruin it. You're going to ruin it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the day. We just ask, Lord, that you take this message and you just, I would ask that you burn it in my heart. Lord, I know so many times I left in the flesh. And I, for that, I am truly, truly sorry. I need to be, a, to be more of a blesser, more of a deliverer, more of a, of a waterer. Lord, I, I, I'm not guilty of killing a man. <laughs> But I am guilty of using my flesh way too often. Help us to to mortify the flesh, to mortify the deeds thereof, and just commit a ministry and commit a life of blessing. When we see the wrongs that happen in this world, Lord, help us. Help us to respond spiritually. And Lord, for anyone who, who doesn't know you as Savior, who can't even kind of fathom, maybe these words sound kind of good, but they can't really understand them because they don't have a relationship with you, I would pray that you just continue to use your Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin, of the righteousness that they can have, but they don't have right now, and the judgment that will come. And Lord, I just pray that you do that through your Holy Spirit in a way that is evident and powerful. And we'll play our part. We'll do our part in ministering to each and every one of them. But Lord, just help them understand your sacrificial, uh, your, your sacrificial gift of, of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory. We're, we're, we're not going to celebrate an exodus out of, the, out of the world. We're not going to celebrate that as if we did it ourselves. It has to be to you and to your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen.